Hey everybody, this is Linda Misigatis, and you're listening to An Unconventional Guide to Success, the show that talks about real life with real people for those of you who are interested in learning from others the steps they took on their journey towards success as defined by them. Welcome to the studio, Scott. It's so nice to see you. Linda, always a pleasure. Thank you for being here yes. today. How are you? I, you know, I've got to be honest. So we talk about being honest on this show. I am having one heck of a morning. Our, um, our little puppy, we just had, uh, you know, we just rescued a, a new French bulldog puppy. We've had him for just about a month. Friday, he fell and broke his elbow. Um, oh and God. so we were in orthopedic surgery yesterday with him. Um, and so it's just been, uh, been a little crazy. Um, and then I woke up this morning and I'm like, what is this on my face? I'm like 55 <laughs> years old. Um, you don't break out, but I think it's stress. So that's what I'm going with. So that's how my, that's how I'm doing Scott in the, in the spirit okay. of honesty. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you what was going on with your chin. I mean, that's a huge. huge uh, right. I know. It's like, holy blemish. cow, we have a fourth. Yeah, we have an extra guest with us this morning. So we're um, going to go ahead and introduce her. her yeah, absolutely. That's right. That's right. My sidekick. So, but we are so lucky today to have um, Paul in the in the studio with us today. Um, so thank you so much, Paul Goudreau. And I'm going to have um, Scott's going to read um, Paul's very impressive bio. Yes, I actually am. And thank you, Paul, for being here. Paul and I met at a uh, Dell Tech webinar that we had done together and uh, immediately hit it off. And uh, I'm glad you're here today. I want to introduce everyone to your to your bio, Paul. Um, Paul Goudreau entered the workforce as a geologist and created a successful 45-year career in the engineering and consulting industry. He has held numerous roles, including founder and CEO of two multinational environmental consulting firms and an owner and CEO of Construction Manufacturing Company. Paul has lived and worked globally in more than 30 countries and has logged more than 100 trips around the world. He has designated and implemented organizational transformations, including purchasing and integrating acquired companies, aligning organizations with their strategic intent, and designing and leading account management programs. During his career, Paul has been responsible for $2 billion. That's right, Linda, $2 billion in sales. I know. I, I, know. I was thinking I was patting myself on the back for I'm uh, doing 50 states, and uh, Paul's been in 30 countries, and you know I've got my little million-dollar budget. Um, Paul's got his $2 billion portfolio, so I mean, oh, it's incredible. Incredible. And Paul's the founder partner yes. of um, Paul Help Me Out. Enoran Partners. Thank you. Enoran. Enoran Partners, a business and career coaching consultancy. He received, he, I'm sorry, he recently authored Own Your Career, No or No One Else, No One Else Will. And I have it right here. Love that. Yeah. A career development book for the career enthusiast. Paul is actively providing strategic insights to environmental consulting and engineering firms. And in addition, Paul is a director of SampleServe, a digital transformation tool designed for environmental laboratories, consultants, and clients. Paul, impressive. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, Thank if you're you so around much. for 45 years, you ought to do something, right? <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. That's a long time. Yeah, I sure that as heck have not been time. around for 45 years. <laughs> <laughs> but I hope no, to aspire your, your successes. That's incredible. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Again. Well, you know, and I know we're going to talk a lot about careers and stuff today, but, you know, it's really been an exciting, adventurous, challenging, fun career. 
Yeah. And, you Sounds know, if you like can it. package that all together as a young career enthusiast today, I mean, what a great life you have in front of you, right? Yes. So it's yes. really kind of a cool, it's a cool story. I'm proud of my bio, but it was even a better journey, you know, uh, myself and my family, my kids, my wife, you know, the dogs, the cats, you know, it's just yeah. a good a good life, a good career. That's awesome. So, thank no, you. that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, this is great. You know, Linda always likes to kick us off with an icebreaker before we come in and start peppering you with questions. So do you want to, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, with that, I do for sure. Thank you. Um, so Paul, if you could hang out with any cartoon character, who would you choose and why? <laughs> well, to be honest, I never really was into con- cartoons very much, Yeah, but the person that stuck out for me, which might be a little uh, ironic, is Beetle Bailey. Hmm. Oh, I interesting. I Bailey. do remember Beetle Bailey. Yes. He was the uh, inconspicuous, some would call him lazy. Oh, yeah. Uh, private first class in the Army. Okay. Yes. And what, what I took away from him was that he was uh, always challenging authority. You know, this the command and control structure of the military didn't quite work for him. Because <laughs> uh, one thing, he didn't really want to do anything. But the other thing, he always kind of was counter cyclical to that whole program of having people telling you what to do all the time. Yes. And at the end of the day, he was generally the guy who had the most common sense. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and came out ahead of the game. Right. He did. Yeah. Wow. Yes. And, and I kind of reflected on him as kind of my guy. I mean, again, it's kind of uh, odd because he wasn't a very ambitious guy, which I consider no. myself fairly ambitious. Yeah. But the whole context was he he really came out of it okay, you know, and he was Absolutely. kind of the right guy in the room and, and he challenged authority and it, it worked out. So I yeah, love it. it. it I love it. You know, that is only those funny. people who have had 45 plus year careers will know who we're talking about. But that's really <laughs> impressive, Paul. Um, I know who Beetle Bailey is. Um, he was in the comics on Sundays. Um, so you just you had to read, Scott. That was the challenge. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. That's Thank it. Thank you, Linda. Thank <laughs> yeah, you. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, that's a great one. I really like that. It's always fun to ask that question question because it does kind of challenge you a little bit to think about why would I want to hang out with that cartoon character Um, but there's always (laughs) as I've reflected back over the years there's always a lesson in cartoons in you know because it was even in comic books you know it was um, a safe way to send a message without Mm -hmm. drawing a lot of backlash and so um, you could kind of get away with things that you wouldn't normally get away with uh, through through comics and uh, and cartoons so so yeah yeah and they actually broke a lot of cultural barriers, you know. They comics did. did, yeah, yeah. Uh, whether it was how people, how the cartoonists dressed the characters, right? Uh, you know, uh, Beetle Bailey showed a belly button once. I guess I I was googling this uh, yesterday, and uh, that was prohibited to show belly buttons, you know, in your cartoon strips. Um, they introduced different cultures, different races. You yeah. know, they do a lot. They did a lot of things for the culture. Uh, you know, that we live in today. So it is interesting to to look at comics. That's very true. And it actually changes, you know, Linda, I'm dying to hear yours, but in the theme of what he just said, mine's going to change for this episode because like Paul has said, culturally, the wonder twin powers of, and I can't think of the name of them, but those guys brought in different cultures and they were kind of chameleons in what they transformed into to solve problems and move and advance issues. 
And so yes. I'm very much a chameleon when I need to be too. So I yeah, would I would say for much. the sake of moving culture and being a chameleon, I'm going to change mine to to those guys today. I like that. No, that's good. And I think it is interesting. You know, today I was thinking as since we're talking about that, he's not a cartoon character, but um, Stan Lee is someone who like um, he was so, uh, you know, integral, obviously um, the master behind so much of that. But a lot of what he did was driving conversation around cultural differences. Um, and you just didn't know it. Um, you didn't realize that it. it's only like even now as an adult, when I look back on some of those cartoons, even Bugs Bunny, um, you know, all of those. They had so many lessons in them <laughs> when you go back and you see through the eyes of an adult instead of seeing through the eyes of a child. It's amazing what you learn um, in all of that and the messages they were sending. So Totally, totally. Yeah. I remember the uh, lunch breaks of the Wiley. Was it, was it Bugs Bunny used to chase the guy that used to put the sheep on and then I forget the cartoon, but they would literally. That was the road. The Roadrunner. Road yeah, road it was the Roadrunner, road yeah. and they would literally yeah. take lunch breaks from their work, yes, and they, they learned would. and that yeah. they taught us in, inherently how to separate work from real life, right? Yes, because they could be friends when they weren't working. Right. Yeah, no, Tom it's very true. It's very fun. Yes, yeah, it's very true. It's fun. So no, that's great. Well, thank you for indulging, Paul. That's always just a fun way to get things started. You know, it's funny. Um, Paul and I relate on so many different levels as far as paying it forward and taking our 40, 45 year careers to the next generation. Yeah. Paul, your book was really inspirational in that it has a lot of uh, snippets, if you will, and a lot of practical tidbits, as you call them in here, um, yeah. for the next generation to kind of take in and put their own context around, really, because they're just one almost one dimensional. They have a lot of meaning, but they, the meaning is inferred on the reader, right? So, right. so what inspired you to write this book? What, what was your motivation behind this? Well, it was really my kids. I mean, I, they're not kids anymore, right? They're young adults, but you know, I, I was, uh, it was about five year, years ago when I wrote the book and I was, uh, watching them develop their career, you know, what subjects to choose in school, you know, what to do as your first job, you know, not liking maybe the first job thinking that's the end of the world you know, which it is, right? <laughs> and just thinking about this kind of course that people take through their career. And I'm a, I'm a, actually a groundwater fate and transport modeler by training. So I'm a technical guy that likes to work with models, right? Okay. Predicted yeah. Uh, yeah. occurrences that can be wrapped up into an analytical model or a numerical model or whatever. So yeah. I felt like a career had a model. There was a model of how you develop your career. Hmm. And so I started with this concept of the career life cycle model and it's called adapt and there's five stages to that model from acquire to transition right and that kind of got me excited about saying okay you know you're starting your career now and, and really i can kind of explain to you why you're in the position you are today you yeah know? you're acquiring skills you may not know exactly what you want to do you're following your passion you know, how does that translate into a career? Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, but who cares? You know, you're just starting out, right? And then you'll get into a develop stage and an apply stage mm -hmm. and a, a produce stage and a transition stage. Those are the five stages of a career life cycle. Now, it doesn't fit every career, obviously, right? Right. No model fits every situation, but it's a close approximation. And so then I started writing these different stages and reflecting on how, where I was during those stages and where I think maybe employees are now. And it was really from the voice of the employee. Now, most of the work I do now is 
either coaching employees directly or coaching their managers and leadership to understand where their employees are mm -hmm. on their career life cycle and being able to make meaningful contributions to that career along the way. Yeah. Um, so that's, and then I, uh, I wrote the manuscript. We took a trip to Belize with the family. I made them uh, listen to the manuscript. Uh, my my son and daughter helped me make it a little hipper, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I I published it. So it's been a fun journey. And and since then I've been doing a lot of work around the book, just helping companies and employees navigate their careers. Are the seventy five uh, top seventy five, or was this as is this like how you got like it ended up being seventy five because that's all you could think of. Right. Well, I started writing the book about two years before I retired. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I was always an observant kid, maybe like Beetle Bailey. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Shocker. <laughs> yeah, shocker. So uh, the last two years of, of my career, I would always just kind of sit back and listen to people and, and take little tidbits. You know, like one of the tidbits is sit in front. Yeah. Well, it doesn't mean actually sit in front. It could mean sit in front, right? Sure. You know, when you're at a meeting or there's yeah. a town hall or there's a client meeting, you know, get to that first table, not the last table. Get to the first one, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And why is that? Because you're noticed, mm -hmm. right? You're present. You're engaged. It tells the leadership that you're there and that you're interested, right? So that turned into a tidbit. I was sitting in a meeting once and I was going, you know, where am yeah. I going to sit? And I always sat in front and I'd always switch. If there's multiple day meetings, I'd always switch my seat, right? So I could mm -hmm. sit by somebody new. Yeah, right? yeah. But this isn't another, I shouldn't do that. It's another tidbit, you right? Should. Sit that by somebody new. That's another good one. Yeah. That'd be another tidbit. But that's how I accumulated these little tidbits. They're great. So to answer your question, I had a list of 100 and some. Yeah. And I just kind of went to the ones that I favored. And I had five chapters and, you know, 15 per chapter worked out. So awesome. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Well, and I what I love about um, just the title of your book on own your career, no one else will, is I think that so often, um, and I know I was a victim of this, um, uh, is that I allowed myself to sit and wait and thinking that someone was going to notice me, right? That um, if I did a good job, if I worked hard, if I produced, that someone was surely going to reward that behavior, right? So I was sitting and waiting for someone else to guide my career versus owning it and saying, it's really not anyone else's responsibility to <laughs> right. say, hey, Linda, you're doing a great job, but I think you should be doing this and this. Now, I did have some great people along the way that helped, you know, provide a little bit of guidance, um, but I wasn't quite um, astute enough to recognize oftentimes what they were saying to me and how to translate that into, it's your responsibility really to take this and right. decide what direction you want to go. So I really love that. Yeah. And, you know, I think both employers and employees struggle with that. Yeah. You know, from the employee standpoint, you just described a perfect scenario where someone is waiting for something to happen to yeah. them. You know, maybe and really, you know, to give some grace to at least my generation. And I think it's the tipping right now. But, you know, our parents had a job for life. Yes. Not everybody, but yeah. generally, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, they were taken care of by the company. Well, my generation really didn't have a job for life and we were kind of the frog in the in the in the boiling water right we had to kind of figure out okay this is changing we better yeah do something different right. and i think today 
it's really changed where employees are taking a lot of ownership in their career. And that's a little yeah. challenging for employers, right? It is. Well, yeah. I don't really like what I'm doing right now. So I'm going to do something different. Yeah. Well, oh, okay. What do we do? What do we do to help you build your career here? Right. right. So that challenge is happening more and more now. The, the other thing that's interesting is that career almost is a, a no-no word. For a lot of younger mm, employees, mm, interesting. Yeah, you know, they see a career as something maybe that ball and I'm chain, right? ball and like, chain. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Right. yeah. You know, I just laid it out and went through all these, you know, corporate cycle and life cycle and all that stuff. Right. And you know, they don't want that anymore. Mm-mm. But the reality is, you're going to build a career, mm-hmm. regardless of what you do. That's right. Yeah. You know, whether you're the guy who came out and fixed my dents in my car this uh, yesterday, or yeah. the guy that picked my boat lift up. There's a career there. Hmm. Yeah. You just have to figure out how to piece it all together. So at the end of the day, you know, you've enjoyed uh, a challenging career and mm-hmm. a great life, right? Because Absolutely. it's hard to have a life without, I think, a good solid career. Well, Paula, that's really foundational that. yeah. too, right? Because the next generation needs to understand that what we're talking about, and you and I have this in common, is the foundation pieces of networking and relationships and mm-hmm. goals and habits and sort of setting yourself up for whatever the actions are that help you make money. But success is is in the happiness, right? And so the theme of career right. is in the theme of happiness and success, whether it's boat lift yeah. guys, lawn guys, or career guys. And all of which That's could be point. true. You know, as a career guy, I'm a leadership coach and I run a consulting firm. I know you did the same so open thing. Up, open up your book, Scott. Yeah. See what it, open up your book. First page, yeah. my signature. What does it say? It's uh, this book is not. Um, I signed it. Oh, oh, I didn't sign. Uh, you bought that. I one, did. Right? Yeah, well, I usually I didn't sign get my it. free signed copy, Sorry. Paul. What's up? <laughs> I got it. Yeah, I'll, I'll pay. Thank I'll you. sell this to somebody else. <laughs> I'm sorry. The reason the reason I interrupted was, you know, when I sign, I say to a career and life well lived. Yeah, yeah, I like right that. because that's what you have to put together. Yeah. You have to put that whole thing together, and right. that's challenging for for. I think it's much more challenging now for the young career developers. Yeah than it has been ever before. So, Well, Paul, I'm curious, since you do work with employers, um, so what I think kind of makes some of that challenging is because um, we are not providing the right training to managers, and in many cases, HR professionals. So oftentimes what they do is they provide, like we just have gone through this at our organization where we receive these templates to do individual development plans for our employees. And, um, you know, it's all about helping them think through like where do they want to take their careers and a lot of it too is on taking away from the tradition of the hierarchical environment so that to grow up doesn't mean that you have to be in management but what does that look like and so I think that where our younger people are struggling is they're looking for that guidance, but they're looking for it from perhaps managers who don't have the proper training to give that guidance. So I'm kind of curious, like in the work that you do, is that a part of it? And if it, if it isn't, what, what guidance would you give? Yeah. I don't know if this is a tidbit or not, but it should be. I wrote a blog on it, but I call, I say managers can be selfish, right? Because if you're a manager, you're given the resources to execute on your assignment. Yeah. So do you really want your top performer to go find a new job? Right. Right. Yeah. I'm not sure. It takes a pretty mature manager, it right? Does. To say, you know, 
you're doing a great job. I can't give you anything more. You need, let me help you find another job or role or within the company or outside the yeah. company. So managers make poor mentors Yeah. also. Yeah. And so the mentoring concept uh, is one where I believe it has to be a manager once removed or twice removed. Because then that person sees a bigger part of the organization, first of all. Right. So they understand what other opportunities there are for people. And they're not so attached to the performance of that individual to perform for them. And so I think one thing is a mentoring program and structuring that so it's it's meaningful, mm-hmm. you know, internal mentors versus external mentors, mm-hmm. you know, the mentoring game kind of gets yeah. overplayed straight of it at some yeah. point, overplayed. Yeah. So you have to be careful with that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, my mentors were primarily people outside the organization. I mean, I had uh, managers that were that were very insightful and could learn the organization to me. They could teach me about the culture. Mm-hmm. They could teach me about opportunities. But my mentors, you know, where am I going next? Right. Really came from external parties. Yeah, no, that's great advice. And I like that too, that idea that uh, because you're right, managers, especially frontline managers, you, you're absolutely correct in that. Why would you, you know, guide your best performers out? Because that's now you've got to start all over again in the process right. of trying to bring in um, a whole new crew and get them where they need to be. And so yeah. that's really good advice. Um, I think when you're thinking about that from a, you know, from a management structure and who we're asking to guide these individuals. So yeah, I, you know, it's funny because as, as we're chatting about this, I kind of resonate a little differently in my personal experiences. I found myself to get really sticky in jobs that that I was overqualified for because my managers became mentors, because mm-hmm. my relationships mm-hmm. became really uh, valuable to me and they were growth mindset relationships. And I've yeah. been really fortunate in pretty much a 180 from what we're talking about. And it was hard for That's me. great to make yeah. decisions to move. And it's, it's, it's a, um, it's an awareness. But that's I'm the sharing. loyalty factor, right? Scott, I mean, would you say that's a little more tied to the, the depth of the relationship partnership loyalty side of it, perhaps it, would you say that like maybe no, I think you had that's, a harder time than separating? No, that's more of who works for me. Um, I have a harder mm, time. Okay. I, I mentor them out of a job. And then because I do that, they don't want to leave. Like, ah, gotcha, gotcha. But personally, it was more fraternity based, and I only share that not to contradict, but to it, no, to recognize there are two sides to that coin, and yeah, people can yeah, get beneficial. Yeah. Bottom line with Paul is, I'm 100 a networker, right? I went, I looked within my organizations at higher levels to communicate with those folks, and I also went with my direct reports, like my managers yeah. and my directors, yeah. and I was in a big corporate environment, so. It served me well to do that as it served Paul to do it in sort of a different way, but sort of the same concept exists. You can't do it alone and you need someone guiding you through it. And that's such a critical factor people overlook. They think they bring their college degree and all the the experience. And there's so much gray in that. Really, there's a lot of gray in that. 
It's very true. Yeah. That, that's very true. Um, we've got a, uh, a guest who's going to be joining our podcast uh, named Larice Brown, and she talks a little bit about that, especially in her particular generation, that they were, you know, kind of taught that um, you go to high school, then you go to college, um, and then you get a job, and then you buy a house, you know, you get, or you get married, get out, buy a house, whatever the, the, you know, the model is, but that that was all just a story. Uh, and now that generation is really struggling in that because they they did they went and got those degrees and they've got huge college debts and, yeah. and they're not even working in the field that they went to uh, went to school for in many cases um, because that's not where the job was and so um, so I think you know that's a really valid point um, Scott that we get caught up in um, in a model of what someone told us we were supposed to do versus I think what Paul is kind of yeah. suggesting which is, you got to figure that out and, and navigate through it and really kind of um, find that path forward. And the other thing I, um, I think that's really important in all of that too, Scott, and I'm curious on your thoughts around this is that, um, you know, if you think about uh, what you did and stepping out and kind of going above, uh, going outside that was very courageous and could have been a little risky, right? Because you were choosing to um, have relationships with senior level executives and that could have been viewed as, um, as hopping, you know, over like um, uh, jumping over your manager. So maybe reflect a little bit on that and then we can get Paul's thoughts on that as well. Yeah. I didn't actually have uh, that hop sensation because I managed my direct leadership in a way that permitted me to move into those places. Okay. So I well, was talk a little bit about that. Like, like dig in a little bit though more on that. Like, what do you mean by that? Very that respectful. It permitted you. Well, I was okay. very respectful and I, um, I asked for permission to engage that next level, level of leadership after I knew they were receptive. So it was, okay. it was still my story. I was doing it, but I made sure that leadership was involved in that with me okay. as I went forward. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, so it wasn't that you were operating around your direct line management mm -mm, um, mm -mm. to go and develop relationships. You were working within that management structure. I forced, the hand. Still, I forced right? the hand of yeah. my leadership to understand I was, you know, going to support them by my inquiry okay. to support myself. Paul, what's your take on that? I think, yeah. Yeah. A couple of things. One is, you know, navigating your career. I call it career aspiration. You know, I never had a career aspiration, right? Until yeah. probably when I was 55-ish. <laughs> then it was retirement, right? Yeah. <laughs> I feel that. I feel exactly, that. Exactly, yes, yes, yes. That was my career aspiration. Well, you know, guess what? If you started a little bit earlier in your career aspiration, you might be able to put some logic behind your next moves. Yeah. yeah. And it's a hard thing, and, it, and it's yours. I mean, I stress this in the book. The career aspiration is yours and only yours. Mm -hmm. For one thing, who cares about? whether other people think you're doing your, the right thing or not. And secondly, you're the only one that's going to be able to man understand if you've achieved it. Right. Yeah. You know, that's right. You're yeah. going to be the one that's going to sit at the end of the day, like I am and saying, you know, did I do everything I could have done with my career? Am I happy with it? You know, not going to help others, et cetera. Yeah. Right? Right. So I always talk about a career aspiration and it doesn't need, and there, and that's where I think there's more opportunities and challenges now mm. because there's so many career uh, paths you can take. Yeah. And I think that's why it's more challenging for younger career developers than it was for us. But yeah. anyways, no. the other thing about networking, you know, in the organization, mm -hmm. um, the way I did is I tried to become indispensable 
to the company. Yes, right? I did that. I mean, yeah. I managed the largest account for the firm, yeah. half the revenue. Wow. wow. So, yeah. wow. you know, as well, and I'm not saying that pridefully, I'm just saying if you can take on assignments that are meaningful for the company mm-hmm. and do a good job, you're going to get the attention of your leadership. Yeah. You're also going to be hopefully respected by your peers. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you can do those two things, mm-hmm. you know, it was an easy choice. The CEO who put me as CEO after he left, he says, Paul, this is an easy choice. You manage the largest account and people like working with you. He said, that's all I got to do. So, you know, that's, those choices become easier for leadership if you make yourself indispensable yeah. and if you have the respect of your peers. Such no, important like lessons. These good. are so, yeah. it's so nice to hear you say all this because part of the crux of our podcast is to pay it forward to the next generation and get context around these snippets or tidbits that quite frankly, my book is aligned with too, but I like how you dig- make it digestible. And then the anecdotes that follow suit give people food for thought and how they want to approach Mm -hmm. networking internally, being respectful of the leadership, and the simple thing of be likable and be sticky in an organization. Yeah. 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 And do a good job. I think, you know, I think that's kind of the the key too, is that that do a good job. Um, You know, you're, you are getting paid. So um, it isn't, you know, it is important. Not just one thing. It's all those things collective. Yeah. Make a career. There's another tidbit in my my book called, it's called earn your keep. Yeah. And I remember this when I would, I lived about 45 minutes from where I worked. And, and at that time, uh, or the airport, whatever, is about 45 minutes. So whenever I get home, and I didn't have a garage attached to my house. It was an outbuilding. Okay. I lived in rural Wisconsin, so yeah. you can tell. Uh, but anyways, it was an outbuilding. And I had about a 30-second walk to my front door, from the outside garage to my front door. And every time I came home, I said, did I earn my keep? You know, what did I do today to earn my key? And some days were just disastrous, right? Right. (laughs) I didn't get through my first bullet of to do, right? I went, man, I got to focus a little bit. I mean, I can't go through this blowing the whole day away. (laughs) Right. And then some days I'd say, you know, I, I went above and beyond. And, you know, it's just a measuring stick. And it took me 30 seconds. Now, did I do it every day? Probably not. But, you know, it was that recognition that, you earn your keep yeah. and you have to continue to do that. So no, I like that. I got plenty of antidotes. I like it. You know no, me. I love it. That's yeah. great. Um, hey, Paul, I'm curious, like what made you shift though, from being a geologist to consulting and coaching? I mean, that's like, especially since when I think about engineering and, and, um, geology, those don't feel like the type of, um, careers that lend to that type of personal emotional connection with people so what what made you make that that jump well it's a good question i think i started uh you know as we as i'd said as a groundwater fate and transport modeler which is very analytical right yes inputs you have outputs and you mess around in between to get it so it does what you're supposed to do but i found early in my career that Um, it was important to be a good communicator because, you know, I worked with teams to communicate assignments as a project manager. So after I was a hydrogeologist, I became a project manager. And a project manager is about coalescing a team to execute on an assignment, right? Mm -hmm. Or a project. Mm -hmm. And I found there that, you know, it wasn't necessarily um, that you had to be a good scientist. You just had to be a good communicator. And so that was something that I worked on first. 
And then I felt like everything else was a little routine or redundant. You know, after you manage one project, you can manage another project, right. another one. They all kind of look the same. You have your work <laughs> breakdown structure, you know. Rinse, stuff. lather, repeat can get pretty boring. Yes. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. So I think I might have gotten bored to answer your question. I said, give me a client assignment. I like to manage a client, you know, because that's yeah. more dynamic. You're outside the company. You're really a translator for what the client needs and what the company can deliver. And it was a lot funner for me, if that's a word. Yeah. And so I kind of built that as my career, and I really built it around account management, which okay. a lot I had to have technical understanding because the For client sure. didn't want me to talk stupid stuff about geology or hydrogeology yeah. or you know stuff like the environmental science. So I had to have enough of that, but I also had to have um, you know approachability, good communication skills, good follow through, et cetera, et cetera. And that became my career path. I enjoyed that the most. So interesting. switch that over to coaching now. Tell me what that means to you and how that ended up being the next layer of importance to your career. Right. The coaching aspect well, of it, yeah. I think I've told you this story, Scott, but I was, uh, I was anticipating uh, retirement. And my sister-in-law was up visiting. This was probably three years before I retired, actually. She said, Paul, what are you going to miss about your job when you retire? I said, my diamond status and my paycheck. <laughs> yeah. And I went right there. I went, you know, yeah, it's time for me to retire. <laughs> you know, and so at that point, I actually started thinking, all right, well, what am I going to do? Yeah. And how can I continue to help? And our industry, the environmental consulting engineering industry is, is a very, it's small uh, compared to like, you know, tech industry or automotive industries or other things. It's a consulting niche. And I know a lot of people and I felt like I could pay it back. And so that's what I started to do with my book. And then as I retired, I figured, can I help companies and employees, you know, be more successful? So. So coaching, is that for me, is that you, I just want to elaborate a little bit on one, how do they reach you? And what does a coaching look like to you? Like the tactical aspect of it. Mm. Mm -hmm. Most of my coaching is with uh, uh, company leadership teams. Okay. So companies that are 500 employees yep. generally would yep. be the midpoint size. And they contact me because they want to do some future planning, some strategic planning. Okay. And so okay. I'll help them do some megatrend analyses, determine what the megatrends are that might be facing them, like climate change or energy transition or resource scarcity or the workplace, you know, these mega trends that are happening mm-hmm. and then trans help them by facilitating their leadership teams, uh, identify key strategic imperatives that they need to undertake over the next five years. I see. And those usually are three to five. And then I construct imperative teams with them to execute on those strategic imperatives in their organization. Interesting. So that's generally what I'm doing okay. now. And that's the coaching I do. Okay. So it's both individual and as teams. Yeah, so I, I was intrigued by the individual aspect of it. So SWOT analysis, those kind of things, and the consultancy you're doing for your strategic planning, I would imagine. Is that is that right? right. So then when you... Yeah, we do the megatrends, and then we say, okay, well, what are the threats and opportunities mm-hmm. around these megatrends? And then you know, we parlay those into specific initiatives they can take and moving that's forward. That's awesome. And then you help them sort of organize the teams and move it along from a consultancy perspective. When you talk about individual coaching, this seems to be, uh, this is always of interest to me because I, I struggle sometimes with whether or not I'll hang a shingle and help people individually as I put on my coaching expertise. 
mm-hmm. the certifications and the process that one follows and helping them self-discover. Is that a layer of coaching or are you more strategic advising coaching and offering uh, experience coaching? I'm just curious what the tactical aspect of individual coaching right. looks like. So I'd say there's uh, team coaching, okay. you know, the leadership team. Yeah. And then there's individual executive coaching. Okay which is the CEO or the VP or uh, a business development manager yep. who I can help coach their skills moving forward. Right. So there's a couple of, there's one uh, CEO who just received the CEO ship about 18, uh, eight months ago. Okay. And so I'm helping him make that transition. The company is very similar to my old company. And um, you know, there are a lot of shared experiences Great. and I can, you know, I can predict or maybe uh, I love it. You know, give them a heads up on things that are going to occur in the future, and just mm-hmm. be prepared. For awesome. It. How do we reach you, Paul? If, do you do you are you selective, or do people? Is there a website that people can go to for? Yeah, I have enoranpartners.com. Okay, uh, and you can reach me there, or you know, I'm on Facebook Got it. and LinkedIn, everything. Got else. it. So just hit my name, you'll search for me, and you can find me. That's awesome. Yeah. Paul, I'm curious a little bit since um, you do a lot with strategy. You know, the new <clears throat> the new buzzword is the VUCA world. I'm I'm assuming that um, you've heard that term um, since it's thrown around all the time these days. <laughs> I'm curious, what's your thought around that? And as you know, as individuals are thinking of navigating through that. So as we're talking about young people and taking control of your career, I mean, we are living in a volatile environment right now, um, and it is hard to make those decisions or know if you're heading down the right path? Like what, what type of advice are you providing around that? Yeah. Well, that's a, that's also a good question. You know, I, when I look at today's world, when it comes to like technology and consulting, Mm -hmm. uh, partnerships are ultimately one of the most important things you can do. Yeah. And I structure and and a structured partnerships, right? Not ones that are laissez-faire. Oh yeah, I know yeah. Fred and Fred and I have gone to college together and da, 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 right? Right. But these are structured partnerships, and you have to imagine how you can deploy your service or your technology through multiple partners, right? Mm-hmm. So my school was: I go to a client, I talk to them about their needs are. They say, "Here's what's coming up, Paul. I don't know about this. This is kind of hairy and bad. I got to find a solution for this one." Okay, I'll find the solution for you. Right now, what I think now you have to be prepared not just to go to the customer directly, but you have to go to partners, people that interact with that customer in some way, and offer either all, all or part of your services through those partners. And so it's a much more complicated deployment of your solution sets. Uh, through partners. And then, of yeah. course, the partnership challenge is how do you find partners that share the same business ethics and right. corporate value systems and, you know, show up on time and deliver the results and a yeah. reflection of you, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, right? very much. But I think the, the I hate to call them partner channels, but that's kind of yeah. what they are. Yeah. Have to be robust and you have to be very agile with how you deploy your solutions, either yeah. consulting or technology. You know, it's funny, Paul. I'm curious. Hold, oh, go ahead, hold on. Scott. I'm no, sorry. I just wanted I mean, to highlight. Donna, you go right ahead. Please. I know. Yeah. I, well, hey. <laughs> yeah, I can't help it. I, I just got to ask the question. So, <laughs> But I wanted, to, I wanted to highlight, Paul, that you're talking of, with people who are of the same ilk in the notion that Linda mm-hmm. and I met 
in a partnership capacity. She represents yeah. uh, the ultimate Kronos group, Kronos, and I own and operate Worldgate. And mm -hmm. the partnership that we have forged over the last, say, 10 years, Linda, while it yeah. ebbs and flows, and one of the things I wanted to express when you said about choosing a partner and that partnership, the thing that comes up for me is clarity, communication, and trust. It doesn't yeah. start overnight, but it does start with intent. And the yeah. intent of partnering is so critical as one builds their career. Mm -hmm. Linda and I are still in partnership with our other work, which is implementing mm -hmm. time, time systems within school districts, HR systems within school districts. Mm -hmm. I'm the consultant, the implementation firm. She's the sales and marketing and product side of the, the firm. Would you say, Linda, for all yeah, intents for and purposes? Yeah, for sure. Definitely, yeah. And so we've partnered together and we've learned to be better at partnering together mm -hmm. such that we were also able to forge that fraternity reference you made a minute ago. So it went the other way for us. And here we are now paying it forward together on an unconventional guide to success podcast, bringing in guys like you that kind of highlight that. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm really, really thrilled to have you today because as you've been talking, you've been hitting on every single cylinder of our concepts, communication, partnerships, networking, relationships, peak performance, project management. I mean, it's hilarious. Mm -hmm. You are on point. And I love it because <laughs> it's, it's, just a validation for our listeners that there is truth in what we're all trying to share. So I just wanted to take a minute to diatribe that for all of us to kind of yep. put a bow around the importance of this from so many different economies, right? You're, yeah. What you're doing in your industry, right. what I'm doing in my industry, the coaching aspect, the consultative aspect, the partnering aspect, and we've got representation right here. So I digress, yeah. but Linda, I just wanted to highlight that for our viewers and yeah. kind of make that. No, it was good. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was a good, good, uh, good observation for sure. Uh, when I was, so one of the key words that you had said there, Scott, was trust. And what I was going to ask Paul about is trust to me is the hard one because especially in that partner ecosystem, because, right. you know, I think about at the end of the day, we are oftentimes partnering with our competitors as well. Um, and, you know, it's a dog eat dog world out there. And so we're all trying to compete for those same dollars. And, and many, <laughs> yeah, that's right. In many cases. And I'm just kind of curious your thoughts on, um, around that that trust factor because I think the reason why Scott and I have such a strong partnership and relationship is because we're almost um, too straightforward in our conversation sometimes. Like we just lay it all out. And yeah. because of that, we trust each other that we're going to do the right thing. But that's not common. Um, and so I'm kind of mm -hmm. curious what your thoughts are around that. Well, I was... Uh reflect on my mentors um, in preparation for this call. And uh, I know it's going to sound silly, but my mom was one of my largest mentors. She was a career professional woman, you know, back in the seventies when that wasn't real common. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she came from, she's an Italian uh, immigrant, more or less uh, second generation. And she taught me about truth, honesty, and do what you say you're going to do. Yeah. And, that was kind of how I approached my relationships with people. Uh, truth sometimes was hard to do because I'm a scientist, you know, I'm right. just going to tell you what truth is, but you have to be delicate with truth sometimes. Yes. Yes, you do. <laughs> truth yes. Is, so I learned, the, <laughs> I learned the delicacy of truth. Yeah. Um, and then the honesty was pretty easy yeah. because I'm just 
I, I'm Beto Bailey. I'm honest. Right? That's right. Yeah. And then the, the follow through, you know, if, yes. if I told my mom I was going to do something, I better do it. Yeah. Otherwise she would hold me accountable for that. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's a little cheesy, but those three things go a long way in developing relationships with people. I think that's yeah, where Linda I don't think and I, it's cheesy at all. No, and yeah. that's, I think, where Linda and I got into a place where when she invited me to partner with their organization and Worldgate and Kronos were starting to figure out their dance, mm-hmm. I 100% did what I said I was going to do and at mm-hmm. all cost. And yeah. that then tr- formed that sort of trust and mm-hmm. it expected it back because it can't be one sided. Right. So if yep. I'm investing, you're investing and off the dance goes. And and, yeah. and Linda, you said something about that's not common. I think it's not common mm-hmm. that people try and work under that premise, which is why we're together today. Yeah. I do think for me, yeah. it's been very common in some of the significant relationships I've had that I've invested in. And I have found success in seeing people craft that dance. I mm-hmm. think people should be aware that it's a, a dance worth crafting. In it from yeah. our dialogue today. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, I like I think that. If I can just add one other thing, there's a lot of noise in organizations, right? Yes. I call it noise. Mm-hmm. And depending on who you're talking with in the client organization or your partner organization, I think that will indicate how responsive they are to a partnership. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Meaning executive leadership should be very open-minded about partnerships. I agree. You get to a project manager who's bidding a project. Um, and wants to control a cost and thinks they need to get the lowest bid possible, partnerships may not be in their dial. Right. Yeah. Really yeah. good point. And so you do have to you do have to create that the right, you know, point of contacts and partner partner contacts in order for that. To well, and that might be where really Linda and I point. are different. Then that might be back to her. It's not common then because you're right. I, as yeah. a company owner, will absolutely low bid it to get the business and plow right through doing what I said I was going to do without all the mm-hmm. extra noise of the attraction mm-hmm. I have for Linda and the work and the style of things that we yeah. operate under. So that might be a better way of agreeing with your, right. it's not common then because it can go both yeah. ways. Yeah. It can. Yeah. No. And I like that noise. Um, when I worked in government and then working in the private sector, I was laughed because I said I understood the politics of government, even if they didn't make sense. At least I understood. I will never understand corporate politics because <laughs> they're not rooted in in anything. Um, it's usually just, you know, emotions, feelings. Um, it's not it's not generally rooted in any common sense or in anything that's that important. So um, it's, it's an interesting thing for sure. Well, Paul, you mentioned mo- uh, mentors. Who, ha- who has been your most important professional mentor? Yeah, so personally, so I, when I look at mentors, I think about different groups. And let me just back up a little bit. And that's yeah. kind of, I think we've talked about this. But, you know, something that's interesting to me is, uh, you know, I think career development is some is a personal journey. It's something mm-hmm. like I said, develop your aspiration. You're the only one that will be able to measure it if it's complete or yeah. not. Yeah. Like a golfer, you know, I look at what's always fascinating is I look at the at golfers, they win the tournament and they say, you know, we really did a great job. Yeah. We put we put the right things in place. I'm going, we right. I mean you're the one out there string, <laughs> right. swinging the club, right? Yeah. Hitting the ball. There ain't no we out there. Yeah. It's you buddy. Yeah. But I think about that. And I think that's the way we need to act is yeah. we need to have a team around us. Mm-hmm. And so when I think about coaches, I think of those people that can teach me the basics, fundamentals, the dribbling, yeah. the 15 foot 
jump shot, you know, whatever, however, whatever analogy you want, but the basic fundamentals of your job. Right. Then I think about mentors and I think about internal and external Mm -hmm. and external. I think of family and friends, Mm -hmm. you know, family and friends can be strong mentors, especially early in your career. Yeah. You know, the crazy uncle or the sane aunt or, you know, the grandpa who's lived, you know, 80 years. I mean, those are all informal mentors, but you can learn a ton from your family and friends. Absolutely. And then also externally, I was attracted to my clients. My clients were my strongest mentors. Yeah. Because what they would do is they would ground me on, Paul, what do you need to do to serve me? And how can... I, how can you do that the best? Yeah. And, you know, the, the toughest clients were my best mm-hmm. mentors because they told me exactly what they wanted and they ho- held me accountable. Yeah. Right. Now, did they help me with my professional development? They did in a way that they really reinfer- reinforced, you know, my uh, innate abilities. They reinforced the things I needed to do to be a successful in my career. Yeah. And so they reinforced that. And then internally... I always had, you know, one or two executive managers that for whatever reason would would provide me the time to talk to them about the organization. Mm-hmm. And I did that in a way that um came with no hidden agenda. Right. Uh it came open minded. Yep. Yeah. Uh I wasn't pitching an idea that I'd heard from my colleagues. Right. I wasn't trying to change the course of the company. I just want to learn from them on where he or she was going yeah, and what they want, what they needed me to do to be successful. And I thought that was, and, and again, I would ask for mentorships. I think that's something that people should do now is ask for a mentor. Mm, yeah. if you don't have one mm-hmm. yeah. and pick your mentor because generally if you get assigned one, it ain't going to work. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I, so summary, external, internal, uh, clients, yeah. friends and family, executive leadership. Those are all the, all part of the package. Turn. Yeah. No, yeah. it's all part I of like the package. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, that's great. Well, um, Paul, we always like to end our show with, uh, with three questions. And so, um, so our first question for you is, uh, what is a common myth about your job or field of expertise? Well, for me, and you asked this question earlier, is it ain't science anymore. Right. Yes, yes. Says, oh, you're a geologist. Oh, you must know how to identify rocks. Well, I do. Right. But that's not what my No one cares is. anymore. Right. <laughs> it's shifted. Right. right. Yeah, no, that's it's very super cool when you're on a beach and people bring a rock to you and you know yeah, what it is, but I'm that's sure. about it. Yeah. No, but, that's great. I love that. That that's, is, that's a good point. Yeah, I like that. You know, I think it's, and I I think it's uh, it can be said for really any profession if it's not technical it's not yeah you know it's not nursing it's taking care of people it's right. not you know engineering it's providing solutions it's right you know it's not what you think it is it's something yeah. different well no, and the common really theme of what we've talked about for the last hour is really underlying any product to your point yes so that's yeah. really that's really what i get it jazzed about too is that it's it's agnostic to geology. It's agnostic to nursing. It's agnostic to any tactical position. These things that we've been chatting about. I love that. Yeah. I like that. That's a good one. So my, our second question is what is the most important lesson you've learned over your career? Well, I think it's about guiding your future. Yeah. You know, and Linda, you'd mentioned this, you can't wait around. Yeah. Uh, You can 
Don't get me wrong. That's yeah, an option. It's a choice. Yep. Yep. It's a choice. But if you can be more proactive and determine where you want to be, uh, you know, what your life looks like, what your career looks like, you know, I think three to five year increments is the best you can do mm-hmm. with a long term horizon of, you know, doing something after your career. But you know, just planning for your future. Yeah, I like that. I think that's really good. I, it's um, funny when I was being mentored by my leadership back then. I used to, what about five or ten years from now, and how is this going to yeah. affect my kids' college? I didn't even have kids yet, <laughs> and I remember my mentor saying to me, "Just go with like the one month, six month, two year plan." Yeah. When yep. you're planning yeah, your right. career, because all those yep. two year snippets become your career. And the foundation we've talked about against the tactical assignments of what you're doing all become one big career play. So I, I, I I like that you highlight that. It's not, it it, just keep it simple. (laughs) Keep it a couple of years. Yeah. 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 I mean, I have a feeling that it takes six months just to understand what your assignment is. Right. Right. It takes 18 (laughs) months to be effective. Right. Yeah. And in two years you should be looking next move, you know, for something. Yeah. 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 No, I think those are those. There, there is some reasonable kind of sequence of, of how you look at your assignment and your role and what's next. Yeah. yeah. No, I like that. That's good. So our last one is uh, what's one lesson your job has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their life? I have 75 tidbits in my book. Yeah, I love oh, it. Yeah. Is that this right here? Oh, now we're all holding it up. <laughs> I don't want to cover up it. your that's name good. for any viewers. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> right. right. That's it. Uh, that's great. Well, what's you know, the, I, what's uh, the one that jumps well, out at you, Paul? The one that yeah. you, run, you bang us here with it. Yeah, yeah, that you come back to all the time. All right. The best tidbit. I don't know if this is the best, but I have uh, a story as well. So, you know, I was uh, I was interviewing for a job. Uh, with the previous CEO who I replaced, and I think it was a department manager or something. I think I was out of school for five to 10 years. You know, the industry I got caught in was very rapid growth. Mm-hmm. You know, we grew our fi- our business from five to 500 people in five years. Wow. We're Inc. 19 on fastest wow. growing companies. So it was a very rapid career growth. So when I say I was only out of school for five or 10 years. You know, I was interviewing for kind of an executive role, a VP yeah. of one of the divisions. And, you know, I wanted to pitch everything I'd done, right? Yeah. Every, all my accomplishments. Yeah. And he said, Paul, at this point, I'm paying you for your judgment. Mm, interesting. Went, okay. Mm. And that kind of freed me and kind of gave me the, the real sense that, you know, you're right. You build your career, your resume over time, right? Yeah. You want to show that you can do certain things. But at some point in your career, you're the leadership or the company the board director is going to um, judge you on your judgment on how you make decisions mm-hmm. yeah. because some, those things are not easy, right? As you get advanced in your career, the decisions become more complex. And so being able to have good judgment, taking all your experience, both professional and non-professional and making the right decision is really what at the end of the day, um, 
you know, you're paid to do. Yeah. Right. It's a good I one. I like that. That's a great one. Yeah. That one is really good. There's 74 more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Where would I find those, Paul? I don't know. Yeah. Is that... <laughs> yeah did you write a book or something? <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. It's I been a pleasure. It. Actually. Yeah. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much. I'm sure our um, our guests and our audience um, enjoyed listening to you as much as we did for sure. Um, so thank you so much for, um, for being with us today. It's uh, been very insightful and, and I'm glad we got the opportunity to have you here. So thank yeah, you. Thank you. Yeah, and thanks Scott. Thanks yeah. for, uh, for, for being here. Always good so to I see you. And uh, yeah, I look forward to well. next week when we, uh, you know, do it again. Absolutely. Thank you, yeah, Paul. Really wonderful. appreciate it. Thanks Looking so forward much, to Paul. what the future holds, you know, for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. An Unconventional Guide to Success is an inspirational, motivated series hosted by Scott Montgomery and Linda Misagatis, recorded on Riverside.fm. Music, editing, and production by Logan Misagatis. Check out Scott Montgomery's new book, How Did You Get Here?, and all the helpful related materials at www.howdidyougethere.com. Thank you for joining us on our journey. If you would like to reach out to us, our contact information is in the show notes.